Hey y'all, I'm your host Tamaje, and welcome to another episode of Rewatch, a podcast where I binge your favorite shows as fast as I can. Since we're all TV watchers, I figured I'd drop some knowledge about what's going on in the TV world right now. As some of you may know, this week more than 11,000 members of the Writers Guild of America the WGA, went on strike for the first time since 2007. The WGA is a union that represents writers who work in television, film, and digital media. These writers are responsible for creating the scripts and storylines that we see in our favorite TV shows and movies. The reason for the strike is due to a dispute between the WGA and the Alliance of Motion Pictures and Television Producers, the AMPTP. The AMPTP represents the majority of studios and production companies, and the two sides have been negotiating a new contract for several months. The main issue at stake is how much writers should be paid for their work, specifically streaming content. The WGA is asking for better compensation for writers who create content for streaming services like Netflix and Amazon. They argue that these companies are making billions of dollars from streaming content, yet writers are not being paid fairly for their work. The writers in the union are particularly frustrated that streaming era shows running for fewer episodes than their broadcast counterparts making it tough to maintain a consistent income. In addition, residual fees, money paid when a show is put into syndication or aired overseas, have all but disappeared as more content is hosted exclusively on streaming platforms. Okay, now, I'll explain it to you like a regular Joe. Back in the day when people had cable, we used to have these things called reruns. And every time a rerun came on, writers would get just a little bit of money for that. I'm sure you guys have probably seen some recent TikToks or heard some podcasts about how actors and writers get tiny little check from their previous work. Because streaming has taken over, there's no reruns and there's no basis of pay for their work being rewatched pun intended and these people don't work for free so they want their money the strike can and already has caused delays in production the strike may also affect the quality of content that is being produced as non-union writers or replacement writers may be hired to fill in during the strike as of right now, pretty much all the late night shows and shows like The Talk as well as SNL have halted production or just even ended early for the season because without writers, there is no show, meaning that reruns will run in their time slots. Soap operas will be the shows to be impacted more drastically next, given how fast their turnaround times are. So Mima stories might just be delayed for a bit. Now, how does this affect us here at Rewatch? The short answer is it doesn't. We watch shows that have already been wrapped, but I want to be known that without these amazing writers, we'd have no pot. Okay, folks, let's get into the reason why we're all here. Scandal Season 6. And this is a rewatch podcast, so obviously there will be spoilers. As usual, let's get started with the opener. Once again, Miss Washington is with child, so cue the huge Prada bags, bouquets, and ponchos because we're bump hiding. The episode opens up with Huck and Quinn walking through the woods when they have come upon a cabin and it explodes. We snap back a few days before and it's election night. We're in the White House with Millie and her campaign team as election results are rolling through on TV. It's become apparent that Millie is going to lose the election. Olivia processes their defeat and has to convince Millie to concede gracefully to Frankie. She coaches her through the call and the girls take the intended celebratory champagne into the bathroom and decide to drown their sorrows. After a heart-to-heart and nearly polishing off the bottle, they hear commotion in the other room. After giving his acceptance speech, Frankie Vargas was shot. In a room filled with the president, the head of the NSA, and the president's chief of staff, 
all essential personnel are scurried away to a secure location. Abby heads to the hospital and takes over operations until the situation is contained. Marcus, who's now the press secretary, addresses the public as best as he can, but he's mostly just avoiding questions. Liv goes to him about the truth of Frankie's condition, and then he starts breaking down the injuries. He learns that he was shot in the arm, the stomach, and in the brain. Frankie Vargas is dead. Fitz and David Rosen are trying to figure out who's going to be the next president. There isn't really any protocol for these types of things, so David says they have to wait until the electoral college's votes in a month. Basically, he tells Fitz that the new president can be whoever Fitz says it is. Olivia goes to her dad to ask him if he's behind the shooting of Frankie. He says no, but she obviously doesn't believe him because the man has a high body count. He alludes that Cyrus is the one behind the shooting because Cyrus loves only Cyrus. He reminds her that he offered her San Benito County, the deciding county in California, but she turned it down, wanting to win in an honest way this time. She has a second chance to now make Millie president. Olivia goes back to OPA and reviews the tape of the shooting. She sees that Cyrus stepped away from Frankie right before he got shot. Olivia goes to see Millie and reveals her suspicion that Cyrus was behind the shooting. She tells Millie that she has a duty to the American people and that she should start figuring out how to become president. Millie is tired of all the violence and doesn't want any of it anymore. Abby calls Fitz and tells him he needs to announce Frankie's death to the public soon. Fitz says that they have to wait because he has to figure out who he is going to name as president. Abby pushes, but Fitz says that Vargas isn't dead until he says he's dead. Liv goes to see Fitz and tell him about Cyrus killing Frankie, but he doesn't believe her. He gives her until morning to find evidence that it's true. Huck, Quinn, and Charlie try to find the evidence that she needs. They can't find anything but Liv is so sure he did it and is angry because they aren't doing anything to stop him. She goes to see Cyrus to see his reaction to the shooting but she finds him muttering to himself in shock. She realizes that he didn't do it and she tells Fitz who struggles to choose a successor. Fitz goes to see Cyrus and tells him that he's going to pick him. Marcus goes to tell Millie that Fitz backed Cyrus instead. Huck, Quinn, and Charlie start to wrap up their investigation when Huck realizes there's one message that they didn't listen to. Huck looks at the call log and they go tell Olivia who sends them into the woods to find the person who left the message, which takes us back to the top of the episode where we opened. Fitz announces to the people that President-elect Vargas is dead and nominates Cyrus to take his place. Charlie recovers the lost message and Quinn says yes to his proposal. The message is from a videographer who worked on the Vargas campaign, reporting that Cyrus is the one who set Frankie up. Olivia goes to talk to Cyrus and confronts him by promising that she's going to prove that he killed Frankie. As far as season openers go, this one was pretty dope for sure. Like right off the bat, Millie loses the presidency and Frankie gets assassinated and and that's all in like the first five minutes. Like when you start a season off this wild, you know it's going to be good. They also recasted Jake's wife to a different actress. And if you're a Glee fan, you'll recognize her as Will Schuster's first wife, Terry. So it's really difficult for me to like be sympathetic towards her. And you'll see why later. It's also kind of wild how Millie and Liv are like low-key besties now. Like constantly throughout the season, they're just chilling and drinking together. Like it's their bonding time. It's some real Reba and Barbara Jean level of forgiveness right there. So the way that the season was crafted was much different than the previous ones. We get several character-centered episodes, and by that I mean pretty much all the character episodes start the night that Frankie was killed. In doing this, we reveal more and more of the picture of who had him killed. So I'm going to give little recaps of those instead of our normal favorite character rundowns, because honestly, there is no favorite character this season. 
During Melly's episode, we see her struggle to not fall for Marcus. We see her in her soft girl era. When she's with him, it's polar opposite to when she was with Fitz and had to always have her guard up. Once Liv figures out that they have feelings for each other, she finds a way to break them apart by getting him a job at the White House, making him look like an opportunist in her eyes. Cyrus's episode is about how his time in prison is going. Tom, his old side piece, confessed to Frankie's murder because he knew that it would frame Cyrus too because he was heartbroken and wanted him to suffer. While he's in there, a guard lets him get jumped by a Latino gang who was rooting for Frankie in the election. Jake's episode is actually mostly about his hot mess of a wife, Vanessa. But if I was trapped in a loveless marriage with a man who just generally refuses to speak to me, I'd be the same. Vanessa literally pushed Liv to the point where she was going to snatch her up. After Vanessa gathers herself, she confides in Liv that she thought she was sleeping with him because of secret meetings and texts that she's been seeing on his phone. And this piques Liv's interest. Turns out that Jake had been working with Liv's dad on the low. He wanted the caller from the tip line taken out, hence the explosion earlier but jake knew that she'd be important so he faked her death which it's important for later we even get us a papa pope episode and in this one we find out pretty much everything that leads to frankie's assassination an old girlfriend comes back into eli's life but it turns out that she's being used into baiting him to kill frankie vargas eli loving sandra agrees to arrange the hit and chooses one of his former b613 agents to do it he tells him to go set up and wait for his instructions eli sneaks into the event and hides under Frankie's stage, and he hesitates to shoot him, but eventually musters up the gall. Now, if you remember, I said Frankie was shot three times, and the last time was in the head. And we see that when the first two bring him to his knees, he looks down and looks Eli right in the eyes before his last fatal shot. After he killed the president-elect, he goes back to be reunited with Sandra. He thinks that now that he's done this for them, that they'll set him free and they see it as an opposite. Now they know his weakness, so they will use it to exploit him. Eli being Eli and never wanting to be a slave to the man shoots Sandra right then and there because he will not be controlled under any circumstances. But then they show him a live feed of Olivia, basically informing him that at any time they can take her out. After they leave, this is when Olivia shows up and asks him if he had killed Frankie. Y'all, then we get a Huck episode. Low-key, we get like 1.5 episodes about him, but they weren't even in the row. Yeah, weird, right? So Huck has a new girlfriend, Meg. She's like this dainty, helpless woman who was friends with Jennifer, the one who called the FBI about Cyrus. Anyways, they're adorable. Like the Beauty and the Beast type of couples where one's big and scary and the other one's all soft and squishy. Everyone knows a couple like this in real life for sure. Back to the story. Liv asks Huck to kill her dad like she does every season, but this time it's for killing Frankie. She knows this because she met with Jennifer the girl who Jake faked her death. When Huck goes to kill Eli, he tells him how he was forced to do it by this woman named Samantha. Eli tells him that there's a mole within the group hired by her and Huck needs to protect Olivia. Huck believes him and tries to convince Olivia and the team that he's changed, but heartbreakingly no one believes him. He then starts to believe that Meg may be the mole. He almost tortures her, but chooses not to because she convinces him that she's just a normal person. Huck ends up proving all of them wrong and showing them the video 
of the night that Sandra was killed to prove to them that Eli is being forced into this whole situation. To make up for almost killing his girlfriend, he takes her to see her bestie Jennifer and then Jennifer is really excited to see her and Meg kills her immediately. She then shoots Huck like five times and the episode ended there, but I'm gonna keep it going. She puts Huck in the trunk of a car with her friend's dead body and drives it off a cliff into a quarry. The whole rest of the episode is in Huck's head trying to figure out how to save himself while the team is trying to figure out how to save him from the outside. Quinn tortures Meg to get her to spill about the location of Huck, but unfortunately she says something that pisses off Quinn and she slits her throat. Eventually, the team with the help of Jake ends up finding him just in time and he lives. In Abby's episode, which I personally feel like is the most important episode besides Eli's, it's revealed that nearly everything that's taken place has been her fault. Essentially, Fitz wants her to run his foundation after he's no longer president, and she wants him to do more. And it's mostly because of selfish reasons, because she wants more power, like they all do. She then takes a meeting with the bad guys, aka Samantha and her partner. They fill her head up with talks of dreams and power. They give her $300 million to convince her that she could be president one day. After it's discovered that Millie lost the election, she gets a call from Samantha who tells her to expect another call in a few minutes and that she better answer. A few minutes later, she watches as Frankie gets shot in the head and the phone rings. After the evacuation of her office, we learn that she was told to shut down the hospital and this wasn't just regular White House business. When she refuses, Samantha threatens to reveal where the 300 million came from that she got from them, which it actually came from North Korea, effectively blackmailing her. While she's at the hospital, Meg is also there with bullets that need to be switched out for the ones in Frankie, or they will kill her boyfriend, Leo. Then we proceed to see one of the most gruesome scenes we've seen in a while. Frankie's body is in the middle of being autopsied when she stages an interruption so she can swap the bullets. The doctor unfortunately had only removed two, one from the brain one from the R. Now, I'm sure you can guess what's about to happen next. Yes, our resident redhead put on some gloves and squished around and found that bullet. Rattled with guilt, she goes to talk to David Rosen, but before he could open the door, Samantha shows up, and it turns out that he's been dating her this whole time and has no idea what she is. Huck comes to her office and reveals that Jennifer was still alive. She uses this as a bargaining chip to get Cyrus out of jail, which works. Now, I said there'd be no favorite characters, but we are getting a favorite episode, and it's coincidentally the 100th episode of the series and episode 10 of season 6 titled The Decision. In this episode, we're taken all the way back to the Defiance decision. We're in the meeting, and Olivia makes the choice not to rig the election for Fitz. Olivia is leaving the hotel after the defeat when Fitz confronts her, asking if she was just going to leave forever. She feels that she left him. She feels that she let him down. He then says something that hit different. He tells her that she did everything she could. Oof, imagine hearing that when you could have changed the world with one word. Liv says she's going back to Washington to help a guy named Marcus Walker pass the criminal justice bill. Fitz wishes her luck and she says good luck with Millie. Back in Washington, Liv, who's now rocking her curly hair, meets with Marcus and David Rosen about the bill in their very new tiny office space. I only bring up the hair thing because it just seems like a way to distinguish the two Livs. Our Liv is always dressed to the nines with a fresh silk press 
no bonnet needed by the way this Liv wears cardigans and jeans in every scene oops y'all i'm sorry i'm off track randomly Liv has a date that night with leo bergen but when she's leaving to go out fitz shows up at her door he tells her that he left millie and that he came there to ask her to marry him she says yes and six months later we get the dream wedding we deserve Liv looked amazing huck walked her down the aisle as her dad sits in the back trying not to be spotted they say their i do's and it's amazing i'm definitely going to share some photos on the pods insta so you can see how breathtaking it was now at the same time of their nuptials millie and cyrus are hanging out and she's obviously devastated because it's the wedding day of her ex-husband he offers her comfort she kisses him and he kisses her back because without fitz being president he doesn't have the courage or the opportunity to come out and is still in the closet one year later, Fitz tries to convince Liv to buy a house because they're still living in her apartment. Olivia goes to the office where David and Marcus are working. They turn on the TV and watch The Grant Report, which is Fitz's new job. Also within the year, Millie and Cyrus had gotten married and were also watching The Grant Report together. Then Cyrus gets the idea that Millie should run for president and she likes the notion. Fitz and Liv are not as perfect as they appear. They're having major problems. Fitz feels like she doesn't look at him the same way anymore, and he vents to his friend Jake about it. In this alternate world, there's also a show that's basically a parody of The Bachelor, and guess who happens to be a contestant? Lindsay Dwyer, or better known to us as Quinn Perkins. Olivia and Marcus go tour office space, and they tour the office that we all know and love in the regular world. Fitz is upset rightfully so because she doesn't want to buy a house but she's willing to rent an office olivia thought he'd be happy for her in the middle of the conversation marcus calls and he tells her they've got an important meeting at the white house meanwhile cyrus comes home to millie meeting with a reporter who happens to be cyrus's ex lover or we know him as james novak his husband cyrus asks melly to grab their wedding album so they can show it to james james accuses him of having a sham marriage since cyrus is gay cyrus tells him that him and millie are partners he confesses that he needs one more shot at the white house as millie overhears him from above marcus and olivia go to the white house for the important meeting with the president but it turns out that someone had made a mistake and that the meeting was wasn't supposed to even happen they get turned away obviously this is very devastating when Liv gets home Fitz tells her that Millie is running for president they proceed to have a fight over Millie and Olivia's aspirations she almost reveals to him that she could have given him the oval by rigging the election but she decides against it Fitz then has the audacity to ask if she's hooking up with Marcus because she's not sleeping with him out of anger she tells him about defiance and how she said no Fitz tells her that she should have done it he says it would have destroyed them but but at least he would have been president. Five months later, Liv and Fitz aren't even talking. Cyrus wants to leak photos of Sally's husband getting it on with a guy so Millie can be the only Republican candidate left standing. Millie refuses outright to out another woman's husband. Fitz interviews reality star Quinn on his show. Olivia gets good news that the bill she and Marcus have been working on is becoming a law and Abby shows up with divorce papers for Liv. After Quinn's interview, she shows up in Fitz's dressing room. They try to hook up the Clinton way if you catch my drift but he stops it from going too far and she calls him an old drunk. Because Cyrus leaked the photos, Millie is raging. She says that if she had known he was gay, she wouldn't have married him and he says that she did know and that she can't leave him because 
she can't politically survive another divorce, especially one from a gay man. Millie goes to talk to Olivia. She tells her that she was right about Defiance, that it would have destroyed Fitz, and that she hates her for being right. Fitz is free with Olivia, but Millie is trapped in a loveless marriage. Fitz decides he doesn't want to do the show anymore and walks off air. He comes home to Olivia, who's lying in wait. He apologizes to her for everything and that he lost the election because he didn't want it. More so that he didn't want anything until he met her. He tells her that saying no to defiance was the right choice. He confides in her that he has a lot of work to do to become the man that, that she deserves and he still wants her if she'll still have him. Without saying a word, she walks over to him and gives him a folder. Inside is a flyer for a townhouse that's on sale. She says it should be theirs. I just love when shows give us these alternate reality episodes. The chain reaction or lack thereof changes stories so much, but also the constants are interesting to see as well. Well, at its very core, Olivia and Fitz still love each other. I also find it peculiar how simply because Fitz was never president, some people just get to live for some reason. I love how power hadn't corrupted them yet. Seeing the characters with hope again was nice. Now, for this next part, I'm just going to give a rundown of what happened all the way up until the finale. Here we go. Liz North is working for the bad guys. Liz gets murdered in front of Melly by the bad guys. Fitz fires his FBI girlfriend, yes, he had one of those, for investigating Liv for Frankie's murder. Millie names Frankie's wife, Luna, as her vice president. Olivia's mom was behind everything. Liv tries to strangle her mom. When is pregnant, Rowan wants B613 to be made again. All right, into the finale. Fitz, Luna, and Melly arrive on stage at the inauguration. Eli is trying to find Maya because they think she's going to shoot Millie. Maya takes out a sniper and takes their gun. Huck figures out that the person who hired Maya is on the platform at the swearing-in. Millie is sworn into office. Olivia gets a phone call during the ceremony, and it's Maya telling her to move a couple of feet so that she doesn't hit her when she kills the one who hired her. Olivia begs her to not kill Millie, but Maya says she wasn't going to kill Millie anyway she says not to worry and to quote her own daughter it's handled maya doesn't end up firing a shot because she's shot by eli first after the inauguration fitz is preparing to leave the white house he tells olivia goodbye and leaves as he's walking to the helicopter to leave she runs out after him and kisses him in front of all the reporters she tells him that it's been an honor and he says the honor has been all his and that's the last time we see fitz in season six Probably because Tony was directing the episode, but I digress. Back at the White House, Liv asks for the footage of Frankie Vargas' assassination. She realizes that Luna didn't have the kids on the stage up there with her to protect them. Olivia realizes who Maya was aiming at. Luna, she tells her that it's over and that her plan has failed. Luna says that if she had any actual evidence or proof, she'd be in handcuffs by now. She says that she can't hurt her because she's the vice president of America and that if some something happens to her, then Millie's presidency is doomed. On the night of the inaugural ball, Jake and Liv pay a visit to Luna. Olivia says that she has found a way forward and Luna is going to die. Luna calls for her secret service agents, but they ignore her as they are Jake's men. Olivia then tells her that she's going to kill herself. Luna tries to defend herself, but Liv simply does not care. She says how presidents are only remembered the night they're elected and the day that they die, and she wanted Frankie's legacy to live on through her. Her. Olivia gives her two options, bullets 
or pills. Luna chooses the pills. Olivia leaves and Jake waits for Luna to die. Olivia goes to see Millie and deceives her into signing an executive order to put aside funds for B613 without her knowledge. Olivia then goes to see her dad and tells him about B613 and how Millie is hers. She tells him that she loves him and that she wants a father, but if he crosses her again, she'll kill him. She then leaves and tells him that she'll see him for Sunday dinner. At the close of the episode, Olivia and Cyrus sit on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial and they share a bottle of wine. She tells him about Luna and Cyrus asks how they're going to get rid of her. After he quotes Luna verbatim, Olivia realizes that he's the one who put the idea into Luna's head so that she could get rid of Luna and make him vice president. Cyrus then brings up the executive order that he saw Millie sign. He says that it sounds to him like they both have what they wanted. She tells him to stay in town so that she can nominate him for BP. He asks her how it feels to be the most powerful person in the world. And she simply says, it feels right. And that ends season six. Next week, we'll be finishing up the last season of Scandal and we will be spinning a wheel. So make sure you have your social suggestions in so we can spin. Be sure to follow the podcast social media pages and share on them as well. Make sure you're following the podcast on Instagram at RewatchPod and Twitter at RewatchPod underscore for more content. Hit us up and feel free to recommend your favorite shows. And lastly, please rate the pod five stars and make sure you click that follow button. Anyways, back to binging. Try and catch me.